And I, I was shocked at first, but then I, you know, pretty quickly realized that I absolutely had to do it, that he had had the courage to stand up when no one else would, and that, that somebody had to stand up. And if I could join in the effort in that way, then it was worth it. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Kendall Monette. And this is Sean Seavey. Each week we bring you current events in 20 minutes or less. We give you the news that matters so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. With the election four days away, our main story today is an interview with vice presidential candidate Mindy Finn. We'll talk about her surging campaign in Utah with her running mate Evan McMullen and what she's done to empower women. But first, let's go over the headlines. So Kendall, this is the second time that I'm bringing up Back to the Future on our podcast. But (laughs) they've been right about a lot of things. Well, almost. So in Back to the Future 2, they go from 1985 to October 2015. But if they went to November 2016, they would have nailed something really important. First of all, in November 2016, that's when Nike finally released the self-lacing shoes. But number two, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Um, I was just—I was actually watching it just barely, and uh, I had to kind of be a little bit silent when you know Cubs made history because I was about around a bunch of Indian fans, so. I kept it to myself and, um, you know, silently applauded this historical moment. But yeah, it, it, after the ninth inning, it was a tie at 6-6. And then, so they had a- extra innings. And then there was a rain delay. And finally, in the 10th inning, the Cubs pulled it off and they beat the Indians 8-7. to So a lot of people are saying, finally, the curse is over. There was a billy goat c- curse, um, which happened... In 1945, this guy got kicked out of the game with his smelly billy goat, um, and he pronounced a curse that they'll never win the World Series. And then another (laughs) curse they talked about, the curse of Steve Bartman. Um, He was a fan in the stands, and he prevented a foul ball from being caught by one of the Cubs players, and everybody said that was a curse. But um, new research actually shows that Curses are actually not the reason baseball teams win or lose, but the person who actually scores the most points wins. Whoa, you don't say. <laughs> well, okay, so I made up that research, but um, <laughs> this is uh, basically my thoughts are, yeah, the, the curses are kind of fun, the conspiracy theories, whatever, but maybe, you know, we could gain something out of this. There, we, People talk about the curses, the conspiracy theories, I guess, even in politics. And, you know, let's just focus on the facts and let the politicians play the dang game. (laughs) Well said. So I have a conspiracy theory story for you. The first female president of South Korea is in the middle of a political controversy. So that might sound familiar to Americans um, with Hillary Clinton's email scandal. (laughs) But um, the South Korean president, Park Geun-hye, is being accused of being heavily influenced by a woman named Choi Soon Seal. Basically, the scandal here that is documented is that she's been making money off of her influence on the president. Um, the president is mixed up in this association with this cult family, with a cultish religion. It just doesn't look good. So I, I've heard plenty of reports about this. They said, this is not good for obvious reasons. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm just dumb because like, why is this so bad? Because so she's been helping with like speech writing. So we usually have speech writers for that. She's been helping with, you mm-hmm. know, influencing uh, decisions um, of the president. 
but like how's that different than like the president calling their mom on the phone saying hey what should i do with this like or is that bad like what what's yeah. the big controversy here and why is this why is it not a trivial matter right yeah how is this different than hillary clinton's dependence on her aide huma abedin or or other figures like that in the news i think it just goes back to the fact that this woman's father was known for mystical powers and having been the leader of a cultish religion and he's described as kind of a korean rasputin so it really just has a an eerie feeling about it. Yeah, the only evidence so far that we have is, like you said, speech writing, and it looks like her compensation was deemed too large. But mostly it just seems very strange that the president would have such a deep abiding relationship with really a political nobody. A lot of people in American politics who depend on AIDS, like you said, are depending on people who do have a background in politics or are well studied, you know, went to Harvard. But um, this this Choi character is not one of those, and the Korean people are not happy about this. Politically, the opposition party is trying to draw out the drama, and they'll probably continue to draw it out until next year's election, so that they can have some momentum going into that, which would make President Park a very lame duck. She will likely get nothing done after this scandal. Culturally, Korean people get very upset with their government for their grievances, and this is this has always been the case. Um, from my time in Korea, there was this was back when there was a sinking of a ferry, and there was a lot of public scrutiny on the government and the government investigation of that accident um, off of the island of Jindo. So uh, the Korean people are very invested in their government and interested in how it operates and um, want to hold them accountable. They also, like us, get caught up in news cycles and every little detail of the controversy. So I don't think the story will go away soon. All right. All right. So, um, Sean, I don't know if you remember this, but next Tuesday is the election. Oh. Oh, I registered to vote. Okay, I'm good. And all you listeners out there, you should have registered to vote. And if you didn't, uh, too bad. Yeah, it's too late now. But um, just a quick little election update. Both major party candidates are in serious trouble with the law. So Hillary Clinton has been under fire recently after the FBI announced that it's not over and they have more questions about, you guessed it, her emails. Um, There aren't a lot of details at this point, but the investigation will absolutely continue after Election Day. Which is kind of upsetting some people. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's a lot of talk on both sides of that issue. Um, and then Donald Trump also has multiple legal battles, including fraud allegations related to Trump University and also a sexual assault case involving a 13-year-old girl, which he categorically denies. But there were multiple reports of a court date for that um, instance. So the takeaway here is, no, it won't all end on Tuesday. Um, we and may be casting our votes, but we're going to continue hearing about probably both of these people. It's hard when you don't have the facts, um, but both both sides, um, all, all these accusations we have, yeah, something happened. Well, what happened? Well, <laughs> to be decided, to be continued. We're in for a treat. Yeah, it's, <laughs> we definitely are. <laughs> but today we, uh, we're focusing on some brighter and I think more interesting news. We have a very special interview with Evan McMullen's running mate, Mindy Finn. So this has been a story that we've been following for the past few weeks. 
um, with everything happening with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, I still think this is the most interesting part of the race that a deep red state like Utah could go to a third party candidate like Evan McMullen just because of the high unfavorability ratings for not just Trump, but for both candidates. And Evan McMullen and Mindy Finn really feel like if the election is close between Trump and Hillary, that they can steal enough electoral votes away to actually get a shot for president as it goes to the House of Representatives to decide the next president, who they hope they'll choose Evan McMullen. Right. And that gets a bit technical, but we'll ask Mindy about that. And um, hopefully we'll learn some interesting details there. Mindy Finn, welcome to Un Uninformed. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're really honored to have you. So we'll just jump right into this. So three months ago, there was no such thing as the Evan McMullen campaign. Less than a month ago, you jumped on board, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, so give us a little background on how this campaign came to be. Sure. Well, you know, both Evan and I are kindred spirits in the way that we um, have voted Republican pretty much our adult life. We are conservatives. And but we were very concerned about Donald Trump um, kind of early on his potential to become the, the nominee. I said that was a fear of mine and it became a nightmare when he actually got the nomination. There was an organization of people who are largely conservatives also <clears throat> who shared this concern. And they were concerned that Donald Trump, you know, first of all, would divide the nation. He could really tear the country apart. Uh, and that's the most important thing. But even politically, that he wouldn't be able to defeat Hillary Clinton just because he is such a divisive individual and didn't have the temperament uh, or the understanding of kind of basic policy issues and, and the like. And so there was an organization called Better for America that was stood up. Some people contributed to try to get ballot access, start the process of getting ballot access for another candidate to run who could win the presidency and actually beat Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And that organization went around and talked to dozens of different people, asking them if they would stand up and run. Talked to Mitt Romney and John McCain and generals and senators and congressmen and wealthy business people, the kind of people who already had a national network or name ID that you would expect you know, to run for president. And both Evan and I were connected into that organization because people were eager to see who that would be and wanted to help them. Evan had said he would quit his job and jump on board as a policy advisor. Well, after the convention, when it was clear, this organization kind of said, look, we've tried. We tried everybody. No one has no one has agreed to step up. They asked Evan, would you consider stepping up and running? This was not something he had been planning to do, but that's what ended up happening. And so he had a little bit of time to think about it, but not too much because every day ballot access deadlines were passing. And every day we were just getting closer to the election. But ultimately he made the decision that it was the, the right thing to do, that somebody had to stand on principles, stand for true conservative principles in this race and offer the American people a better option. He stood up. I was very excited about that because I'd been tracking this effort. Finally, someone was there and I'd offered to you know help in, in some ways kind of behind the scenes. When he reached out just a, about a month ago and wanted to have a, a kind of more lengthy conversation, he said he would have something specific he wanted to ask me. We had a long conversation about our vision and where we see the country going, what issues we think are important in our values, what's important to us. And then he said he was going to ask me, and, and I, I was not expecting him to ask me to consider being his running mate, but that is what he asked. And I, I was shocked at first, but then I you know, pretty quickly realized that I absolutely had to do it, that he had 
had the courage to stand up when no one else would and that that somebody had to stand up and if i could could join in the effort in that way and offer the american people a positive option some option they could go to the polls and vote for and be proud of then it was worth it so that's how i came to join the ticket and it's it's been a, a wild ride and a really incredible and inspiring one all along fantastic and uh, it it seems like that was way longer than a month ago and i'm sure you feel the same way too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sir, sure, certainly. So let's talk about empowered women. And for most people, that that means a that's a political talking point. But for you, empowered women is the name of the nonprofit organization which you started. Yeah. So tell me about that organization. Yeah. Well, so you know, I like I said, I worked a lot in politics. I've worked in the technology industry and in media, and there is a lot of talk about women's empowerment. It's kind of a, a buzzword. It's a marketing. Um, channel. But I, I felt like that in the kind of civic sphere, so in the political and public policy sphere, there wasn't the the kind of most more left-leaning organizations, which are where a lot of the women's empowerment organizations reside, weren't really speaking for kind of my generation of women, this bold new generation of American women. And the kind of more conservative organizations, first of all, there weren't many for women generally, but they tended to, um, you know, not really recognize that while women have made a ton of progress and have more opportunities today than they ever have, there are some unique issues that women face that are important to focus on. And it was with that backdrop, excuse me, that I started Empowered Women to really give voice to this bold new generation of American women and get them involved in civic life. So to make sure their voices are represented and to delve into some challenging issues where there's not a really clear cut answer you tend to have those on the left side of the political spectrum who think that everything is kind of a, a priority issue and one there needs to be some new government program, kind of federally, federal one-size-fits-all government program to address things like child care or, or paid leave or those kinds of things. And on the right side of the aisle, you tend to have the exact opposite, which is people say these things aren't really an issue. I felt like there is some middle ground there, and that's what a lot of the young women I knew felt. But I also wanted to have these conversations and do media training and leadership training and connect people within a network so that women would have a, be on a pipeline or go through a pipeline to play important roles in kind of public leadership positions, whether that maybe eventually meant run for office. I certainly have talked to a lot of women, encouraged them to run for office in my years. I did not plan on being one of them, but running for office was one of those ends. Um, and some of the other, you know, ends could just be even, you know, being a chief of staff or being a spokesperson or running their own podcast or their blog. It was really leadership training, encouraging them to get their voice out there in all the different means possible. That that's that's the organization. It was a I just started at the beginning of twenty fifteen. I was not what I was doing full time. I actually had my own business working with startup companies and some pro democracy and governmental reform efforts. But empowered women is something I was just incredibly proud of because in a pretty short time we built a 1,300-plus network of women and growing. We're connected to that. And some of them are now you know, really making waves as spokespeople in the media. They've written books. They're running for office. And it's really exciting to see. That's great. We wanted to ask, how will your experience with Empowered Women and all of your efforts there translate into your service as vice president should that happen? Well, first of all, I mean, as we know, there's not that many women who are in political leadership positions, certainly have not been um, in the Oval Office or in, in the White House. I would look to be a voice on those issues. I think a, probably a reasonable and sensible voice, 
one that was listening to the concerns of women across America and making sure their issues were surfaced and represented. You know, part of this is that our economy has dramatically changed over the last 20 years, largely due to technology, so the technological transformation of our economy. And then we also have more women working. And, and, and so and all of us are able to work in a more flexible way than we ever were. So focus on women, uh, but it's, it's even broader than that, which is just the way the economy is transforming. Women are a big factor in that because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, women were not as much a factor in terms of the, uh, the public side of our economy. And so it, it would be giving, giving voice to those kinds of issues uh, and, and, and representing women. I would also look to kind of make sure that we had more women's voices in our administration so that we could be a representative uh, administration that was serving the needs of, of all of all. Great. So we had kind of a trivial question for you. As we know, if nobody gets to 270 electoral college votes and um, if your campaign does indeed win the state of Utah, then it will go to the house to pick the president. But as I understand it, the Senate actually picks the vice president. So we're just kind of wondering, has that been discussed among your campaign and the possibility of a McMullen-Kane president, vice presidency, if if that does happen or something like that? Well, I mean, it's not a trivial question. And we've talked about it a bit. I mean, we're running as a, as a ticket. Uh, you know, if we got to that scenario, I, we, we know, I know how it's outlined and how the House picks president and Senate picks the vice president. But, you know, you also need to ensure that the president and the vice president are a team that can work well together. And so, you know, I think there's there's possibilities beyond what, you know, your what is written in terms of how that's picked. Yes, sure, the Senate can pick somebody, but you also need to make sure that the president and the vice president are a team that can work together well. Well, so uh, yeah. do you have some friends in the Senate? <laughs> you, you want to campaign too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not too focused on that right at this moment. I mean, our, our we've always said that, if we get to that point where it is such a close race and we win Utah and it were to go to the house, that would really reset the race at that point that all the candidates would be on an equal playing field in terms of certainly the presidential candidates in terms of media attention and coverage and, and, and campaigning to make their case uh, for those house votes. So it would really reset things at that point. So at this point, you know, we're, what? we've, we've met with a lot of those members. We know them. But with four or five days out, we're more focused on making our case here in Utah than on lobbying those members. Fantastic. Yeah. What would that timeline look like with um, working with the House? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, they would be a process set forth for that contingent election. It, there would probably there would at least be, a, you know, a, a few weeks to determine that. So, there again, like a lot can happen in a short time. I just joined this ticket a month ago. I've been launched three months ago and look where we are today. Uh, it wouldn't yeah. take much time to there would already be a lot of attention on those campaigns. But I'm sure there would, there would probably be a debate or something like that, uh, at least among the House delegation, you know, the all the all the House delegations from each state. There would be a debate would probably be televised, I'm assuming, and, and streamed online. So that's that's where I think it would really reset. We're certainly in a different media era than at any than the other couple times that we actually had a contingent election in the House. So it would look very different. I think that the public would be very plugged in. The public would have a lot of sway and influence because those House members they're concerned about their own reelection, and they want to they want to make sure that they're casting a vote that will position them to be pleasing their constituents so that they're in the best position to to get reelected. 
So it would be very, very interesting. It would be like no other contingent election we've had. There would be, I think America would be tuned in all the time and would be very engaged and involved in kind of advocating and lobbying for the candidates that they wanted. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Mindy. Yeah, you bet. Thank you so much. A huge thank you for Mindy for joining us. If you have any questions or comments, leave it on our Facebook page, or you could write a review on our iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme music is provided with permission by D.D. Dumbo. If you want to hear more experimental Australian music, go check him out. He's a swell guy. Again, that's D.D. Dumbo. And thank you each so much for listening. Your support really keeps us going on this project. This has been Ununinformed with Kendall Monette. And Sean Seavey. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook so you can see every episode. Or visit us at ununinformed.com. That's un-uninformed.com. Thanks, guys.